The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and today's episode, listeners, is just what the doctor ordered, literally. On this show, we have talked a lot about the health of the planet and the impacts of climate change on the natural environment. Today, I'm in discussion with two medical clinicians who will talk about the direct health impacts of climate change on humans, as well as how the healthcare industry can improve its pretty terrible record at sustainability. Ethan Sims and Amanda Blanchett are both leaders of the Idaho Clinicians for Climate and Health, part of the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health, and I'm here to say you won't want to miss either their diagnosis or their prognosis. So stay tuned, listeners. My conversation with Amanda Blanchett and Ethan Sims is coming up next. Welcome back, listeners. I'm so excited to have me with me virtually, of course, not in person. Two medical professionals from Idaho, Amanda, Ethan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chelsea. Thank you so much. So, listener, longtime listeners will remember that last season we heard from Dr. Ed Maybach from George Mason University Center on Climate Change Communications. And Ed talked at that time about how medical professionals are one of some of the most trusted messengers when it comes to delivering climate news. So here you are. That's you guys. (laughs) Yes. Excited to deliver the message in person. Well, uh, so what is that message? (laughs) You know, we hear a lot about the health of the planet being in jeopardy, but we don't really hear a lot about health to human life. So lay it out for us. Yeah, I mean, I think the most important message we can deliver is that climate change is the biggest threat to human health um, that we have faced. Um, and we have seen more than 200 medical journals publish a uh, co-signed article about this during the height of the COVID pandemic. Uh, you know, the New England Journal, the British Medical Journal, JAMA, all these, uh, you know, famous trusted institutions stepping forward in the height of a pandemic that was, uh, you know, rocking the world and still recognizing that climate change is the biggest threat to human health. I mean, that's really significant because I think about the impact that that pandemic had on all of us on our lives. I mean, just even in how I think today, right? If I'm at the grocery store and somebody is coughing or sneezing without a mask, it's just changed my whole mindset of how I look at transmission and how close I am to people. There are still things I don't necessarily like to do indoors. So if that wasn't the greatest threat to health. I don't even want to imagine what we're unleashing with climate change. Yeah. And just to add on to what Ethan said, the World Health Organization has recognized climate change as one of the largest threats to human health. Um, But also it's something that we've seen in person with our patients during wildfire season and people having increased lung infections or even people who are typically healthy getting sick Um, from some of these climate impacts. And so as clinicians who've taken an oath to do no harm, this is a big part of the puzzle and it can't be ignored. 
Well, and that's what I was going to ask next is like, we have this like construct, right? So we have the journals and we have the WHO saying this, but you're seeing it in your personal practices. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, from exposures to extreme heat, um, from new infectious diseases or diseases that didn't used to be in places that we're starting to see um, come into our communities uh, to, like Amanda said, the biggest thing we see in Idaho is wildfire smoke. Um, though we have had, you know, the hottest summers on record year after year for the past several years, we've seen our snowpack dry up, uh, making winter activities much less available. Um, you know, I've got some colleagues in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I used to live and work, um, and they're seeing things like dengue fever um, in Albuquerque, which is, you know, what we think of as a tropical disease. And I certainly don't think of Albuquerque as a tropical destination. Right, right. Or malaria, I heard recently, too. Yeah, yeah, seven cases of malaria in Florida. Uh, and, um, you know, we even saw uh, some transmission uh, in the D.C. area. Um, so, you know, these are these are things that used to be isolated to tropical foreign locations and we're seeing them here now. And in addition to the mosquito illness, the tick-borne illnesses, they um, they require a certain number of freezing days to be killed off and we're not seeing those numbers met. And so not only is the season that they're reproducing getting bigger, but also the geographic location for things like Lyme and babesiosis, which are traditionally in, you know, Lyme, Connecticut and New England, but they're spreading even further. Well, and you know, listeners, Amanda and I were were talking before we hit record about our New England shared New England roots. And you know, I, I feel like I first heard about Lyme disease maybe 10 or 15 years ago, but much like anything, it felt abstract. I didn't know anyone that had it. And now I know so many people who've been treated for Lyme disease. And and you're right. I was going to make this connection to what Ethan was saying about winters. They don't get cold enough, right? And so tying into what Amanda said about, you know, you need the, you need the freeze to kill off some of the bad things so that they don't either spread their course or just go unimpeded. They, they keep growing and expanding and this is bad. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's true for other things like uh, allergies, you know, the uh, pollen producing plants that we all hate um, that are invasive uh, keep spreading further and further uh, North as the temperature warms. And so we're seeing, you know, longer allergy seasons um, with more non-native species uh, coming into our, our neighborhoods. Um, so, you know, more people with allergic bronchitis, more people with allergic rhinitis, uh, more people that are just uncomfortable and unhappy because of the changing climate. That's me. I have never had allergies until like two years ago. And Chelsea, we do, part of what we are doing is increasing awareness about this connection because for some reason it's like an extra step that most people just don't think about when we're talking about the planet's health. It's just another little link. Although, of course, we're directly affected by the places that we're living in and the soil that grows our food and the water we drink and the air we breathe. But we also do like to talk about solutions and not just <laughs> scare right. everyone. I was going to say, I know it can get, <laughs> I know it can get a little overwhelming to hear about. Overwhelming, and I'm the- making my list of all the things that can happen. <laughs> there are there are key things yeah. we can do and big changes that can be made. And right, because by the time a patient is seeing you, they already either have Lyme disease or they have asthma or that whatever is going on. So, how do you take? You know, as clinicians, how do you take 
this threat and get the information or the solution orienting to people before it's too late, before they're suffering from whatever the ailment is. Yes. I mean, I think there are uh, multiple ways that that has to happen. Um, One is kind of starting with our own house and looking at the way healthcare is driving climate change because we're a huge consumer of energy. uh, We're a huge producer of waste in the way we do things. And, you know, I've been practicing medicine uh, for 16 years now. And in my relatively short career, I've seen a lot of things go from reusable to single use throwaway. Um, and, you know, it just massively increases the waste that we can cons- consume in healthcare, uh, which subsequently turns around and generates methane from landfills, which warms the planet, which drives all these things. Um, and it's also more costly for the way we practice healthcare. And I think that's the, the crucial thing we have to think about with sustainable practices is healthcare keeps getting more expensive and practicing in this uh, environmentally irresponsible way is also driving up costs without improving patient care. Um, so we're really uh, one of our big pillars with the Idaho Clinicians for Climate and Health and the sustainability committee I work on within our healthcare system is looking at how can we reduce cost while reducing carbon emissions. And uh, as Amanda alluded to at the beginning, you know, trying to be more consistent with our oath to do no harm to our communities. And I was in the hospital for five days in like 2016, and I was astonished at the amount of waste that I saw just in those five days. And so, and then I think the pandemic exacerbated that, not just in healthcare industry, right, but more um, plastic silverware, if you order takeout, like everything is single use, everything has to be disposable because we didn't want to, tra- we didn't know, I guess, in the beginning how COVID was transmitted. So there was a little more caution, but we know now, and we haven't gone back. We haven't gone back into a reuse mindset after that. So I'm happy to hear that, that, that the thought about sustainability and healthcare is happening. And I look forward to seeing um, more implementation. Yeah, that was actually one of the first things that got me into sustainability was um, in our uh, like doctor's lounge area where they have like fruit and drinks. All of the apples during COVID started getting wrapped in plastic. And it was like, this is a, you know, a, a natural device that doesn't need a wrapping. And it took like a year of uh, talking to people to say, hey, we know COVID isn't transmitted this way. Um, can't we just wash our apples and get rid of the plastic? Um, and you know, like it's steps like that that start leading you into further discussions and further thought processes of how we can improve things, um, that have led me to where we are today. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Is there any awareness building you can do with patients who come in? If somebody does come in and they are suffering from um, any sort of lung ailment because of wildfires. Is there anything you can do in that moment to educate them about the increased risk of, of more fires and more intense fires because of climate change? Or is that sort of a, a, a third, a third rail that you can't really discuss in an appointment? It's, it's relevant. And there's also actually short-term solutions that are important to implement so that people with underlying asthma or COPD don't get worse in those wildfire seasons. So things like not reducing your exercise and outdoor activity, of course, 
um, but also using filtration systems. Um, you know, some people have fancy filtration systems, but there's also really affordable box fans that you can make with just filters um, in your doorway, if you or in your window frame, if you don't have access to filtration. So certainly just, you know, we do discuss some of that direct link to this is related to our climate. It didn't used to be that way, but also it is part of our, our practice to also talk about solutions during that exacerbation that patients can use. Well, and I think especially um, clean air is something that even some um, of the constituency that we call the eco-hesitant, so they might not buy into the science of climate change, but they buy into wanting clean air. And to me, I have a hard time in my brain kind of separating the two. But I do, you know, I, I remember talking to somebody years back who changed her position on climate change because when she was pregnant, she got the list of fish she couldn't consume, right, because of mercury levels. And this was like an aha moment where she thought, okay, something's going on if I can't eat this like natural thing that would otherwise be healthy. And so my hope is that when somebody is suffering, that that people can make that little, they can flip that switch in their head from being eco-hesitant to being, you know, at, at least accepting that the science is there and that this is happening. Maybe they're not ready to attend a climate rally or, um, get behind any specific policy, but at least click in that switch. And that's yeah. I mean, we're we're really just trying to depoliticize this issue and say, look, none of us are going to survive if we don't take care of the planet we're living on, um, and all of us are going to have more healthcare challenges. It's going to make everything more costly, life less enjoyable um, if we don't start turning this problem around. Um, there's a, a pediatrician in Wisconsin who has done some work and publishing data uh, named Andrew Lewandowski um, looking at climate counseling in primary care settings. Um, and people were super receptive to this, even in a conservative community that he lived in. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just that framing of, you know, how you set this up. Is this a, a political issue that we need to argue about? Um, or is this, you know, a, a human health problem that we need to tackle together? And also, I know you, you know, we we're talking about the ways in which we communicate with our patients in the office, but a part of the work we're doing is communicating with the public as a health voice mm-hmm. and at large. And, you know, one of the things particular to Idaho, and you, you mentioned your friend who's who's pregnant, and it kind of took like meeting her where she's at for her eyes to open up a little bit. I think one of the, my favorite things about Idaho is that people are really united by our love of the natural and wild lands and the outdoor recreation. And so when it is wildfire season and you can't go outside and camp or fish or mountain bike, um, that's really challenging. And I was just on the Payette River for a whitewater rafting trip. And our guide told us that the fish is not safe to eat there, which is, you know, that's, that's a challenge. That's one of our premier rivers where people recreate and for whitewater kayaking and fishing. So, and I think that those types of impacts, I can probably speak for a lot of the conservative community to say that when, you know, the words climate change can feel 
abstract. They don't necessarily, it doesn't feel like something that's happening to you directly until it is, right? So if you're fish where you're used to catching, you know, world-class, whatever species of fish they have usually swimming there, if you're used to family ski trips, you know, whatever it is, and then suddenly you can't do that, you don't have access to that because the climate is changing in your backyard. I think that is also, you know, in in tandem with what you're saying about some of these um, health impacts, that that is an awareness moment for a lot of people. Yeah, we have a family cabin in Donnelly um, that's on Lake Cascade, beautiful lake, tons of people recreate there in the summer. And, you know, another impact we're seeing as water levels decrease, temperature increases, toxic algae is increasing in the lake. And three of the dogs in our neighborhood died swimming in the lake. Uh, and then the lake got totally closed to recreation for over a month, two summers ago, um, because it was not safe to swim in. And this is a, you know, a huge body of water that people escape the heat in Boise and go up to, uh, go recreate. And we just aren't able to do that anymore, uh, for big chunks of time. Um, so. You know, it's something that we need to work together and say, again, is that is that a political issue? No, that's a that's a you know, we want to be able to use our lakes and rivers and streams and uh, recreate the way we want to issue. So, Amanda, and you were talking about, um, you know, using your your health voice in a public way with your public. How does that manifest? What does that look like? Are you are they kind of more attending conferences or events or is there sort of more locally focused efforts that you undertake? So we're certainly state focused in Idaho, which means working with our local news sources, Mm -hmm. um, both print and then radio, like Boise State Public Radio, um, but also hosting talks. Um, We host a lecture series, which um, is for health workers specifically, but anyone is welcome to attend. Um, And that's also getting the word out in kind of a more detailed way. And then also hosting things like community events where it's not necessarily just health workers, um, but anyone can come together to talk about how something like a tree canopy um, and the density of our trees can help with cooling and clean air. So kind of multifaceted approach to working with both the communities, but also the health systems. Excuse me, if there are listeners who are either in the healthcare profession or just want to get engaged, whether they're in Idaho and want to tap into the efforts that you're doing, or maybe they're in another state and want to see if there's something going on there, do you have a website or someplace that I could direct them to for information? Absolutely. So our website is Idaho Clinicians for Climate and Health. But um, we are actually under the umbrella for the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health. It's a little bit of a mouthful. (laughs) And um, there's actually 25 states with their own unique um, advocacy groups that are working within the health and climate space. And so they have a list of the states that are working there. And then that links you to their their webpage. And if you are passionate about this and you don't see your state involved, they have so many resources and are very helpful um, with, with very little to help you get off the ground and find your people where you're at and get involved. And is there any and from, other... from a sustainable, oh, just sorry, from a sustainability ahead. standpoint? Yeah. yeah. No, no, from a sustainability standpoint, there's an organization called healthcare without harm. Um, that is a great uh, warehouse of information about uh, how to practice medicine in a sustainable fashion um, that is, you know, definitely focused on healthcare workers specifically. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you both for everything that you do. Um, 
in your profession, but then outside your work as well to make the, to make Idaho a healthier place. And um, I do hope to get to Idaho next year. I have a cousin that lives outside Twin Falls and her parents just moved back from, uh, she you know, brought her parents closer so she could keep an eye on them. And we're trying to plan some big cousin reunion, but I've never been. So uh, save Please some. let us know if you come out. We yeah. would love to meet up. Yeah, go for a hike or do something. Absolutely. Fun. If there's no wildfires, I yeah. don't hike. Yes. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for your time and everything you do. It was great to to hear this work that you're doing, and I really, as if doctors and healthcare workers don't give enough, it's it's nice to see you're in this battle as well. Thanks, well, Chelsea. Thanks for all you do with the podcast, Chelsea. We appreciate it. Chelsea, how about that fall pumpkin spice? It is PSL season. I don't even like PSL, but here's the thing. I used to be the kind of person that mocked people that do. And now I've decided who cares? Let people have their pleasure. If that's something they enjoy, it's a little thing. Why do I have to mock it? PSL. How about some uh, PSW? How about some PSC? I mean, there's pumpkins. It's all about the PS. (laughs) It is all about that pumpkin spice, listeners. Uh, (laughs) We are spicy today. Those doctors really inspired. Like, I don't know. They unleashed something in us um, with their prognosis that we're all doomed. No, they did not say that. They were very moderated in their um, diagnosis. But yes, there are definitely major health considerations that um, stem from climate change. So we talk a lot about the impacts on the earth. We do not talk a lot about the physical impacts on humans. Obviously, we talk about infrastructure and moves and storms and being in harm's way, but not the actual physical ailments that come with a changing climate. So I found that episode very interesting. Yeah, and some of those things are stuff that you might not think, you know, right away in terms of health, but are well a little bit more common, like, you know, asthmatics having trouble and, you know, in a bigger city where pollution is just obviously more rampant. Um, but the things that you don't really think of when it comes to like the, I won't call it indirect health impacts, but the things that are just much more below the surface, like say, you know, tick-borne illnesses that are... Um, uh, diversified, they're more prevalent, like with climate change that's happening. I'm not going to try and play doctor and, you know, you know, articulate the message that they did, but, you know, drilling down to things that just, I didn't even begin to think about ways that climate is impacting, you know, us in terms of uh, healthcare, uh, but things that it would, it, you know, they're almost like that intermediate thing, you know, like say if you got bit by a tick compared to like 20 years ago, it's just different. And that's not something at all that would have popped into my head when I think climate and health. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I know somebody that um, more recently, she got an adult diagnosis for asthma. Mm-hmm. And so anything that makes her asthma more likely to be triggered. I think that has to be bad. I feel very lucky that I've never experienced that sensation. Mm -hmm. I've never that I know of been bit by a tick. I have had to pick ticks out of my kids before when they went to Mm -hmm. camp and were, you know, running around the woods and stuff. And so I just think some of these things are, you know, they, they are things that we deal with on the regular, but if they're going to be worse or more people are going to deal with them, you know, that's obviously a sign that Mm -hmm. things are changing. And 
you know, I know we have at least talked on our calls. We've all had some experience either in the hospital or with a loved one in the hospital. There is so much waste. And so it's great yep. to hear um, Ethan and Amanda talk about sustainability in healthcare too, because that mm-hmm. is an industry that could be leading the way. Um, I feel like we kind of went regressed with COVID, right? And everything had to be single use and single, you know, yep. just all the single use plastic that has ended up in the landfill since the pandemic. And I think it's time to kind of get back into reduce, mm-hmm. reuse, recycle as much as we can. Yeah, definitely. You know, the story that Ethan told about, you know, what what kind of got him into it. And that was, you know, seeing the apples on the table wrapped in the, yeah, in the you know, they just, you know, trying to protect the plastic, right? The, you know, the saran wrap trying to pristine, so to speak. So it's not, you know, passing, you know, germs. And you said, look, that's not what's going to do it is, you know, a germ landing on that apple. And, but I just thought it was interesting to hear him tell that story. He's like, hmm. You just never know what will inspire somebody on, you know, any kind of an issue. And it was something just very that simple that was sitting on the table right in front of his eyes. Yeah, for sure. For you sure. Know, Idaho is obviously the topic of the day for us, not just because of our guest, certainly because of our guest, but also because, you know, Robert Dern Inglis heading out there or is out there, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, as he will be uh, in the greater Moscow uh, Pullman, what we like to call, and everybody out there calls the Palouse later this week, uh, Wednesday, uh, Thursday, and Friday. Going to be speaking at the University of Idaho, uh, to a couple classes there on Wednesday and Thursday, then speaking to or on a panel at the Foley Institute, thanks to Richard Elger and the folks there at Washington State University. So I was going to be on a panel there at 12 noon at uh, Washington State University on Thursday. Then I'll be off to the Trout Unlimited Conference on Friday to be a panelist there. So, boy, how about some, you know, fantastic opportunities by our friends, uh, you know, out there on the Palouse that are help uh, providing some just great speaking opportunities and ways for us to engage and obviously Bob specifically. Well, uh, you just reminded me of our guest last season from Trout Unlimited. Mm-hmm. That was really exciting. He was from Idaho. And so, um, you know, both Amanda and Ethan also to like kind of loop it back to this episode talked about, um, uh, you know, being outdoor enthusiasts. And so I just, I think this is, you know, mm-hmm. everything connects in the world. So glad Bob's going out to Idaho. I can't wait to make my first trip to Idaho at some point in the future. And, uh, so, you know, it's just good to, um, it's good to hear stories like what they told. And it's also great when that is then reinforced with a Bob visit. So Mm -hmm. Bob will be out there. You know, we take pride in how we target these states that we, um, that we focus our work on. And Idaho has long been one of our target states. And I know most people will probably think of Idaho and like, whoa. Why? And there are just so many great reasons. And and part of it is this perfect, um, you know, perfect circle of outdoor opportunities. They have a lot of renewable energy in Mm -hmm. Idaho, a lot like top four in the country, I think, in terms of generating renewable energy. And, um, you know, they're one of their senators is the highest ranking senator on the finance committee, which mm-hmm. would be the committee that a carbon tax would have to go through. Mm-hmm. Not that yeah. he supports one, but right. <clears throat> he can keep working toward that. So. Yeah. 
And to bring this thing, you know, you circled it back around there. I'll circle it back on my end one time because Drew Ierly, who was a past podcast guest, will be on that panel, the Trout Unlimited panel with Bob on Friday. So there you go. We're going all the way around the circle as we get back home here on the Eco Right Speaks podcast with yours truly, Chelsea Henderson. And I just play sidekick here uh, on this final segment. So, Chelsea, what do we have coming up next week? Coming up next week, we have another guest who has been on the show before, um, but first season. So it's been a while. Um, Neil Chatterjee, some might recognize that name. He is um, a former chairman of FERC. Um, that is the independent federal agency that oversees, um, you know, things like uh, where we put our transmission lines. So just, you know, important things like that. So we're going to catch up with Neil. And what he's seen in terms of big energy priorities coming up, um, kind of comparing where we were when, when we talked to him in December of 2020. So it's been almost three years since we've wow. on the show. God, doesn't seem that long, but certainly there's been a lot in the news that's related to FERC or FERC type related issues, you know, so I'm sure he will have a lot to opine about. I am sure he will. I look forward to that. All right, Chelsea, we'll do it again next week. Remember, if you want to sign up, stand with us. We would love to have you do that, republican.org forward slash join. We'd also love for you to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, wherever it is uh, that you listen to podcasts. You can get a new one of our podcasts, Eco Right Speaks, on Tuesdays, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, you name it, wherever it is you listen, just search Eco Right Speaks and you will have us delivered right to your smartphone, pad, tablet, wherever it is or however it is that you listen to your podcast on Tuesday. So hit that subscribe button, Chelsea. Until then, we will see you next week, friend. Hey, and uh, congrats on the Braves. Aren't they going to the playoffs? No title one yet. Still a ways to go. Oh, my we gosh. Even, Sorry. Even... I, I was premature. I thought they had it sewed up. All right. Well, I'll hold, hold those congratulations. I didn't mean to jinx anything. See you next week, Bryce. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.